God bless you guys. God bless the world, buddy. Let's go racing. It's episode 28 of the Loud Pedal Podcast here on Flow Racing. This is the second of a series we are having about Women's History Month and the influential women in racing, auto racing. Dylan Welch is here. He is in uh, Concord North. Well, actually, no, he moved to Huntersville now. You can hear my voice is obviously uh, not here, Dylan Welch. Um, it's it's uh, spring. It's springtime's here. So what, your voice is absent or what's going on <coughs> i don't know it's not doing very well uh it's a good thing i decided to not be here um the day we record the podcast so that's good yeah chet christner chet christner told me once i think he was in florida he told me cough drops make it worse is that accurate i don't know chet would probably know more than i would he talks a lot more than me for a living yeah but uh Maybe I should give me some hot tea or something. Um, we are celebrating, again, Women's History Month here on uh, Flow Racing. Last week, we talked to Haley Shanley and Carson Elledge. Uh, Carson Elledge, of course, check out the shirt, D. Welch. Oh, race yeah. lean. Race fast, drink slow. Now I bought one. Wow, that's impressive. Got off the, got off the old wallet. I was going to say, Carson should be proud. You've probably never bought anything in your life. <laughs> I bought me some uh, sunglasses, too, from our, our friends at Midwest Shades, who used to be on uh, Chad Baseflug's, uh car. I, I know you have a, you already have a glasses sponsor, so you probably can't talk much about them, but I love their shades. However, um, the one I recently got last Thursday broke already, the, the wooden ones, uh, but they're sending me a new pair already. Well, so that's, that's good. good. That's good customer service. You know, of course, I had to email them back and say, look, here's a video of me wearing your sunglasses. If you want to send a couple extra pairs, uh, you're going to get a lot of exposure, you know? Yeah, always, always trying to get something free from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, that ding right there, I needed to tell you, Dylan, is the SS Lemon is now for sale. Wow. And Good I listed it. Up, up. Good luck to whoever buys it. <laughs> Dude, the phones are off the hook. The phones are off the hook. Like, literally, I have to silence my phone because, like, I listed it, like, 30 minutes ago, and so many people want to buy the boat already. Like, do, do they, they know that it doesn't don't know that it doesn't. <laughs> so you should probably put that in the listing before you con somebody out of $200 or whatever you should sell that boat for. Two hundred dollars. I put four grand in that engine, the one engine, and, and it probably still isn't going to run. I have a receipt. I am selling the thing for four grand. If you want it, uh, last summer it was running very, very well. Right, so like it was up to like forty-five to fifty mile an hour. You could probably get it to fifty-five if you didn't have a three hundred pound drinking machine riding in the cockpit. Uh, it could go a little bit faster, but. Like Dylan is mentioning, uh, towards the end of the summer, I think the one engine probably needs some new spark plugs, maybe, uh, you know, 
maybe a little refresh on the one engine, but I did just build, you know, put a $4,000 engine on the starboard side and the port side probably needs a little work, you know, a couple spark plugs here and there. I'm selling as is. I might not be able to get it started. If I don't, we'll negotiate. We'll negotiate price. Let the record show that I have never, ever seen this boat run in person. That's not true. I have video. I will send you a video if you want. I'll put it in this. I'll put in this podcast right now. Yeah. I have video of it running 50 mile an hour across the lake. I'm saying I have never seen it in person. You have never? No, listen. Listen. The two times that I've shown up to ride on this boat, the first time it was you and your wife and you took it out on the water and the thing started belching smoke and we had to turn around. The second time you didn't even get it off the dock and you had to tow it back. You had to swim out there like a beluga whale and hit your hit your arm up to the front thing so you could tow it back to the dock and get it on the trailer. I have never seen an exactly. in-person run. He's accurate, but I'm going to delete that part because I'm you trying to sell this boat. Can't delete the truth. <laughs> now, the one time he's talking about it was because we hadn't realized we didn't have the fuel injector lines on, right? So there were, the fuel was not getting to the motor. After that, we were fine. Dylan was pissed off because he drove all the way across Charlotte to get on the boat. Meanwhile, I have one arm over the boat, right? In the shallow end of the, 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 the boat ramp, swimming it back over, pissed off because I'm trying to get drunk and, and ride in my boat that I paid way too much for. And he's right, though. But after that, he wouldn't ride on it anymore. And I didn't want him to ride on it anymore because he talked so much shit about it. But it did run very, very well. Just him. And it's famous, right? We've talked about it on this podcast for a long time. The SS Lemon. You can have this thing for a real cheap bargain, and I'm in Michigan. Yeah, why Why wouldn't you? For $4,000, you can have a lawn ornament, a boat that doesn't run. Sign, I'm sure they are beating down your door trying to get a hold of that thing. The winged rankings are yet to be out. I've been waiting um, for a lot of people to vote, including the guy on this uh, you know, podcast with me right now. Um, Dylan, how did I get you to vote this week? Well, you conned me into it. How did I do that? You sent me a link to something under the premise that it was not what I thought I was opening. <laughs> and we cannot tell you what that premise was because it's not appropriate. However, let's just put it this way. I basically sent him something and said, look, here's a box of chocolates. Open it up. And he opened it up and he's like, wow, you got me. And I said, all right, vote now that you're there. Yeah, and I did. <laughs> it was a very inappropriate way of doing it. I'm not going to tell you how it was, uh, but yes. Finally, we got Dylan Welch to vote. I'm still waiting on one more voter, and the wing rankings will come out probably this evening after I get my fat ass back from the gym. Uh, did you see Sammy Swindell this weekend? What happened? Yeah. the Well, I mean, I, I saw the interview, and well, and I saw the, the accident too, obviously, but the interview is uh, pretty good. That one, that's, uh, that's probably a top five, you know, easily top 10 all times. Maybe he's creeping up on top five all time interviews right there. At some point, I'm going to go back into the Rip the Fart archives and find, like, the best interview reactions. Like, Bobby Santos has got to be up there. Was that Toledo? Yeah. Where was that? Let's find the frustration right now! Whatever he said. <laughs> yeah. 
That's what he said. <laughs> I have a very good limited fake Bobby Santos. Uh, <laughs> and you get mad every time. You're like, why? Why are you doing that? Uh, what, what was the Grove? Buck Walter? Um, I'm not sure which one you're talking Steve, about. Was it Steve or Tim when Wyndham, when Wyndham uh, uh, cost oh. someone a Silver Crown Series yeah, race yeah, at the Grove? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was Steve. We got that one. Sammy Swindell has now jumped near the Mount Rushmore of interviews of all time. Now, Jack Hewitt is up there. Uh, I'm going to play it right here so you can hear uh, Sammy Swindell, and then we'll uh, talk about it some more. Sammy goes for a wild ride. First of all, we're glad he is out of the car and A-OK. Man, we're so sorry about that. Tell us what happened, my friend. <laughs> well, I got another car destroyed by a kid. You know... I'm almost completely, he's got to see me. I can't run into the tractor tire. I have no place, I don't, I don't know what these kids think about, you know, but all you got to do is buy a pit pass to get to drive. You don't have to qualify, you don't have to do nothing. You just show up with money and you run over I've been doing this for, 50, this is my 51st year. That's stupid. What I like doing is he, Sammy literally can say anything and it should go viral. Like, like the way he said it was like, literally tear this man apart, but in the most kind way possible. Yeah. Like old well, man I kind. I think it's funny too. I mean, obviously, Sammy at one time was known as Slam and Sammy. I mean, he didn't get that <laughs> name on accident. So I just think it's funny, you know, now that in, in his old age, you know, that he's, he's, you know, mad at these kids or these guys that race, you know, race dirty. And he did get, he did get run dirty. I mean, that, you know, that deal wasn't his fault, but I just thought it was funny, you know, that Sammy of all people is talking about, you know, running into people and racing people dirty or whatever, but regardless, great interview. Uh, and he's not wrong. You know, all you got to do is buy a pit pass and you can, you know, jump in a 950 horsepower race car. You know, it's, 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 uh, pretty simple so uh he was he was not wrong in, in what he said i gave my opinion on twitter because there were some sammy haters that came out and said he just uh don't you know monster truck the guy i could i didn't get a good enough angle on it right because um the ascs you know racing boys crew went to like the down can like the corner shop before entry and to me it looked like the guy way late in entry into into the one came down the racetrack did it not look like that to you from that camera angle? Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I thought too. Um, but you're you're right. I mean, kind of a kind of a funky camera angle. So uh, you know, but regardless, I mean, even you know, even if your opinion on the actual accident is different than you know ours, what he said is still is still accurate. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, and it's it's becoming more and more common, you know. I mean, it's it's you know guys just driving over the top of each other because they don't really have to face repercussions. So maybe that's um, you know maybe that's a product of, of of you know the sanctioning bodies these days that are afraid to penalize people or whatever the case may be. But um, you know, he's again he wasn't wrong in my opinion on on what he said. Well, the premise wasn't wrong, but here's where he was wrong. He's 25% right, right? Because Justin Zimmerman is not a kid. He's 45 years old. He's been racing a <laughs> yeah. long time. 
Yeah. So he was wrong there because he said these he's kids a kid to Sammy. He's accurate. He's accurate in the fact that there are kids out there who are just getting, you know, rides because of their money. But Justin Zimmerman's been here forever. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, Sammy, how old Sammy? Sammy's how old, what, 70-something? Is he that old yet? I th- what did he say? He's been racing for 51 years. Yeah. Or so 41 years anybody, or whatever the number anybody's was. Anybody's a kid to Sammy, I guess. My mom loves Sammy Swindell. I do, too, and he's great. I mean – I love that the fact that he won so much that people started to dislike him. That, like it's like yep. a Kyle Busch or a Jimmy Johnson effect. Yep, absolutely. Have you been watching March Madness? I have. Who do you like? Do you like the sister jeans? Well, I'll tell you what. I thought uh, I thought USC last night looked pretty good, embarrassing Kansas. <sighs> yeah, they did. So, Pac Pac twelve is pretty strong. The Big Ten sucked. What yeah. the heck happened to the Big Ten? I don't know. It fell apart. My Buckeyes, who I – I literally created a bracket 30 minutes before the tournament started, and it was over by the time the Buckeyes played. <laughs> yep. Didn't last too long. Because I took them all away. I took them all – I was like, I like – you know, I like the new coach. I think I, – I, sometimes he makes bonehead decisions. But, like, being a Buckeyes basketball fan, it's like, I thought we had a good team. Now I have to watch Michigan. Yeah. And Juwan Howard make his decisions in the final. Oh, this is not a college basketball podcast. Um, What about Larson? He kind of threw one away the other night. Yeah, that was uh, that was a, a surprise. You know, I mean, he, as much as he led and dominated, uh, to have one slip away like that is painful, I'm sure. But he's did good. he throw it away, or or did they just not keep up with adjustments? I think. I mean, he said it in his in his interview that you know that Blaney was just better on the long run. You know, I think they were like I think you know he said it. You know, Larson is such a good interview because he's so analytical. You know, he said you know he didn't feel like you know Blaney necessarily got any faster. They just kind of fell off more because it was such a long run at the end. Um, and, you know, that's why – that's kind of why he, he got by him. So, um, but, you know, Larson's – I mean, that five car is good. You know, I mean, I think he's – I think he's shown that, you know, he's going to be – he's going to be a contender for sure at every mile and a half, um, you know, and probably elsewhere too, places like Dover and, um, you know, places he's won at before. So, I think he's – I think he's got a, a real shot to be a championship contender. They were dominant. Um, yeah, I just – Blaney's good. And the problem is, right now, if I went to the casino, I would probably put money on Blaney to win the championship before Larson right now just because we have a sample size of Larson being not that great at Phoenix. Yeah, and Blaney is pretty good there, so. Yes, he is. But he's got it, and Blaney's probably Blaney's probably better odds. Yeah. All right. Nobody cares about but, NASCAR. Let's talk about dirt racing. Hat shakes of the week, brought to you by no one yet, but hopefully soon. Power Eye Midget Racing. Buddy Kofoid swept both races. Congratulations to I believe one of the next stars of midget racing and sprint car racing, Buddy Kofoid. He was on our first wing sprint car rankings for winning two races in Arizona to begin the year. He has yet to be in a wing sprint car again. He has had some good runs in the USAC sprint cars, but now two more midget wins. I think he has three on the season now. Yep. 
And that's who my hat shakes going to. Um, I don't know. They raced, you know, they raced in Texas and I don't know, was it a 30 lap race or 40 lap race? No idea. Did they race two days or just one? A couple days, but anyways, tra the track took rubber the second night and buddy went to the back, you know, and put a new tire on, on lap 27. And even if it was three laps or 13, uh, you know, he drove back up through the field and won the one night. So, um, you know, I thought that was impressive, especially if it was only a 30 lap race and he passed all those cars in three laps. But, but regardless, yeah, I mean, buddies, um, you know, we've obviously watched his progression the last couple of years, um, you know, as he's continued to get older and get more experience in the midgets and, um, you know, he's only going to get better and is, is only getting better. So he's going to for sure be another, another contender for, uh, for the USAC championship this year. Hopefully we'll see him at either Lawrenceburg, uh, you know, on April 3rd or at Attica with either the Linders or maybe keep them, take up their uh, wing sprint car to Attica for the all-star opener on, on April 2nd and April 3rd. Uh, but yes, uh, Dylan's hat shake goes to Buddy Kofoid. Did we get good runs uh, from Brent Cruz? And also I saw uh, Jade Avedesian won a heat race. Yeah, Brent Cruz ran fifth both nights, um, you know, in his debut uh, in a midget with, with CB Industries. Uh, kid's a superstar, man. I mean, he's 13 years old, I think, um, and is unbelievable. You know, multi-time world champion go-karter, um, you know, outstanding micro racer. And now he's, he's taking the next step. He's been running wing sprint cars. He's running midgets and he's 13. So he's got three years realistically before he can compete, can, can compete at the national level, but he can race, you know, in power eye or, or wherever else he's going to run. So, um, if I was Toyota, they've got him in the pipeline now with, with Chad's deal, you know, run him as much dirt stuff as you can, you know, for the next three or four years and get, and then get him in a stock car because he is the future. The problem is Toyota's log jammed. Uh, Geo Selzy's the future. Buddy Kofoid's the future. I mean, Cruz is kind of the next wave, probably. But they haven't. Toyota hasn't done anything with those two yet. Yeah, well, and Buddy. I mean, Buddy's young too, and so is Geo. Realistically, I mean, they're both what nineteen. Um, you know, so they're both young. But I mean, you're right. You know, I mean, that, and that's the problem Toyota's had for years is they don't have. They got so many kids and not enough places to put them. But I think there becomes a hierarchy based on success. And, you know, if you're winning, then you probably, you know, get more looks for rides than, than maybe some of the other guys. So um, he's got good thing about Brent. He's got a long, long time, you know, before he, he even is thinking about that. But, um, you know, I know Toyota is probably smart enough. They don't want to lose him. They've got him in the pipeline now. They don't want to get rid of him. Yeah, he was 12 years old. And I'm going to pat him on the back also while being critical. Um, Millbridge the other night, he raced against Sheldon Creed and literally punted him off of turn four. And Creed was obviously leading. Cruz was faster. Of course, Cruz is faster than everybody at Millbridge right now. Um, he went over and apologized to him. You know, he, he went over and, and went to a NASCAR, you know, champion. Uh, Creed won the championship, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, he won the championship on a restart at Phoenix. Um, but... You know, Creed, a NASCAR champion, he went and apologized to him. I think Creed said, you know, I think Creed said something to the effect of, you know, if you're old enough, we drink a, a beer and and right now and 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 you know have at it, or maybe I'd punch you in the face if you decided to turn down my beer or something. Yeah, no, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing is you can't get mad at him because he's a freaking kid. He's twelve. You know, it's not. 
Yeah, you can't you can't go over and do anything to him. You know, you can't even yell at him. You can just yell into a kid. It was a mistake, and it's gonna you know it's not gonna be the last mistake he makes in his career. Um, I I was very impressed with him at the Tulsa shootout. Of course, I covered my first Tulsa shootout this year. Kid drives way older than twelve years old, and so does Gavin Bushell. Um, you know, there's a couple other drivers that are really, really good that are 11 and 12 years old that have no business being in a midget yet, but they proved the other night, fifth and a fifth, maybe they do have business being in a midget, right? And at 12 years old, well, I think 12, 13 years yeah. old. I mean, I think that's the thing too, you know, and both of those kids race at Millbridge, you know, I think, I think that that's the thing now is that you can, you can race cars so young, you can race legitimate cars at such a young age that now by the time, you know, these kids are 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, I mean, they're ready to take that next step and get in a midget or a sprint car, you know, I mean, 13 or, or however old Brent is, 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 you know, I mean, that's young. I mean, I, I, I had this conversation with somebody the, the other day, I cannot imagine me at 13 getting in a sprint car. Like I ran quarter midgets till I was 12. I cannot imagine being that young, just with that kind of mental state at that age, getting in a car like that, you know, even a midget, a car that has 400 horsepower and weighs 900 pounds. I mean, those things will hurt you. Like I just, it's hard for me to like wrap my head around that, but that's why somebody like him or Gavin Bochelle are so good is because, you know, it doesn't scare them. It doesn't, you know, intimidate them. It's just the next step and they're ready for it because they've raced competitively and successfully for several years by the time they're 13. So um, that's just kind of how it, you know, how it goes now. Um, and, and the, you know, like we said, the thing is, is they can't even race nationally with USAC or anything and, you know, for another three years. So who knows how good it'll be by that point. They have no fear, which is, uh, pretty incredible. I want to go back to that Toyota thing. Tony Stewart, when Chase Briscoe was announced going to the cup series was fairly critical of Toyota's development program and their pipeline. I personally thought um, Tony was a little bit harsh in the fact that Toyota has developed not only great stock car racers, but great professional midget and sprint car racers. Tanner Thorson is one of the best midget racers on the planet right now. Toyota helped develop him. You know, there are guys that are not going to make it to the NASCAR Cup level, NASCAR Xfinity Series level, NASCAR Truck Series level through Toyota's pipeline that are still going to become great race car drivers and great professional race car drivers, but they're not going to make it to the next level. And I still think it's cool that Toyota is developing that talent at the grassroots level still too as well, even if they're not making it to the stock car series. No, I mean, Toyota has been ahead of the curve on the development thing. I mean, they've completely left Chevy and Ford in the dust. You know, Ford is finally, you know, trying to get their act together with Chase and, um, you know, I guess you can consider like Cole Custer in there, you know, in that group too. But Chevy is still completely absent from the development thing. But the thing is, why would those other manufacturers spend so much money on a development program when Toyota is doing it? And then Ford and Chevy can just pluck from the Toyota pipeline because there's no seats at Toyota anymore. You know, there's, yep. so, there's, no, there's no rooms at the end. So Toyota pays or whatever to develop all of these young kids. And then they get to, you know, they're ready to run trucks or Xfinity. And there's no seats. So Chevy and Ford say, well, here, we've got a seat for you. Just come on over. And they don't have to do any of the development, you know, or, or you know, raising these kids themselves. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, it's an, an interesting thing. You know, Larson obviously was a Toyota prospect and Toyota lost him and he went to Chevy. 
and they've you know been very public about the fact you know how much they regret that and how much you know they don't want want don't want that to happen again but how do you prevent it from happening when you you're oversaturated so um what they're doing is great there's no doubt about that um you know because they do take a genuine interest in the grassroots level of the sport um but you know at at some point there comes a time where you know there's just no room for you anymore and you got to go elsewhere eric jones uh first one that comes to mind uh great toyota prospect bell kind of took his place um and i mean don't get me wrong i think bell is better than eric jones and that's a little bit of a biased take but Eric Jones has won races at the cup level and is a, a very talented race car driver and specifically a very talented stock car racer. That's his background. So um, he, he races for, you know, Richard Petty now and has had some great runs. Daniel Suarez, who's with old Pitbull and Justin Marks, he was a former Toyota product. Eric Almarola was at Joe Gibbs Racing. The list goes on and on of the talent who has been with Toyota. But you're right. You hit on one, though. I mean, you hit on a Christopher Bell. You hit on one of those guys. You see how long it lasts and you back them. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to knock the Toyota program, obviously. Um, but I think Ford is doing a good job, you know, building the sprint car engine that they are. And it's way better this year with Donnie Schatz, you know, had his growing pains in the first year. But it's good to see that Toyota and Ford are also building sprint car engines and are supporting the grassroots racing, just like Bristol Motor Speedway is doing, you know, this week, shining light on the dirt late model, you know, you know, the dirt community with the modifieds and the late models and also NASCAR, uh, uh, you know, their pull and having dirt go to Bristol. It's a big week. We're excited to see Shane Golubic and Chris Windham and Stuart Friesen, who's going to be making their cup debuts. Jessica Zemkin Friesen is going to be making uh, her, well, I don't know if it's her debut or not. She already, might have already made a truck series start, but two short track super series starts last week. Uh, now going to Bristol and running the truck series. What are you most excited to see this weekend on the dirt? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm, I'm excited to, to sit on the couch with a beverage in my hand and, and just watch it. You know, I think, I think the, tr I think the truck race, honestly, um, you know, is going to be awesome because it's short, it's a short distance. There's a lot of really good guys in it. You know, there's a lot of cup guys that are, are jumping down to run the truck series. And then, you know, a few guys that are, you know, dirt regulars that are racing in it as well. Um, so I think it'll be fun. You know, the, the cup, the cup series deal, obviously having Chris and Shane there is going to be fun. Um, but man, it just, it's a long race, 250 laps. Um, it worries me a little bit. So um, I'm excited. I'm honestly probably more excited to watch the, the truck race uh, Saturday night, but regardless, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, about as off the the beaten path as you can get you know everybody complains about nascar you know and their boring schedule and everything else so uh this is going to be it's going to be interesting you know i hope i hope it's successful obviously because i would love to see you know a dirt race or two become a fixture on the schedule but um i'm sure there will be some growing pains the first time around they're fixing the boring. I addressed that a couple of years, uh, weeks ago about practice and, and qualifying and all that stuff being out of there. We don't need it. Put them on the track and go. Um, but, yes, going back to uh, more results for the hashtag sprint cars, Sheldon Hodenshield, I believe they're at the Cotton Bowl. He won the first night. And then Brad Sweet, the next night with the Outlaws, the first drivers to win two uh, you know, wins this year with the World of Outlaws. Lincoln, Allen Crimes won. Uh, wing back in the trunk, Dylan Welch, plug in the bottom. 
Uh, nice win for Alan Crimes in PA. Port Royal Justin Peck has been a contender at nearly every track he's been to in Pennsylvania. Finally broke through with his first at the Speed Palace. He's been really good this year. Likely going to crack the top 10 in the wing rankings. Like I said, I haven't finished. I can give you a little insight. He's going to be a 10 to 9 most likely unless we get some votes on this last ballot. Um, ASCS JJ Hickle sweeps the Devil's Bowl Speedway. That's three for Hickle this year, I believe, so far. He went out in California as well. And then DJ Neto won at Stockton. My hat shake is going to go to Sammy Swindell. One of the best interviews of all time. Uh, Man, maybe we should hear that thing going to break again. We got to, right? Uh, Before we go to break, Aaron Crocker Evernham is on the other side. Again, the second part of a Women in History series. We were really excited about it. To me, Dylan Welch, this is one of my favorite interviews we have done at Flow Racing so far. Yeah, Erin's fascinating. Um, you know, her career, obviously, um, she's the only female to win a World of Outlaws feature. Um, but, you know, kind of was a pioneer in, in a sense, you know, because when she was trying to break into the sport, you know, there was even fewer women um, you know, in the, the early 2000s that were trying to do what she was doing, you know, which ultimately was, you know, be just a professional race car driver, whether it was in sprint cars or, or NASCAR or whatever. Um, you know, so she was she was kind of on the forefront of that, of, of this generation of, of female racers and, um, you know, has had, you know, as many challenges as you could expect somebody to have. Um, you know, but, but her, her recounting of it is, is fascinating and she's just an interesting person, you know, obviously, um, you know, married now to Ray Everham, who's, you know, as smart as they come. And, um, Aaron is the same way, super analytical. They're both just incredibly smart people. And, um, it was a fun conversation. Yes. You mentioned Ray Everham, one of my heroes growing up in the nineties. Uh, he and Jeff Gordon dominated the nineties in the NASCAR cup series. And he, she is now married to Ray. Now, she used to drive for Ray and at one point had to make a decision between starting a family or continuing her professional racing career. She dives into that. She tells a lot of stories that I have never heard. And I've worked with her uh, for, what, the past six to seven years. Maybe that's a little too much, maybe like four or five, depending on when she started with Wing Nation. Uh, you know, when I worked at the Motor Racing Network, she would come in. I would see her every week. Very cool chick. I've never seen or I've never heard some of these stories that she tells, so I'm really excited uh, for you to hear it. The first woman to win a World of Outlaw Sprint Car Series race, it was at Tulare, Erin Crocker Evernham, and I actually found out today it's her birthday, so happy birthday to her. She is next. Here's Sammy Swindell on one of the greatest quotes of all time. <laughs> well, I got another car destroyed by a kid. You know, I'm almost completely, he's got to see me. I can't run into the tractor tire. I have no place. I don't, I don't know what these kids think about, you know, but all you got to do is buy a pit pass to get to drive. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to do nothing. You just show up with money and you run over. I've been doing this for 50, this is my 51st year. That's stupid. Back on the Loud Pedal Podcast here on Flow Racing. This is a special edition. We mentioned 
uh, Women's History Month here on Flow Racing. It has been fun to spotlight some of the more important people in uh, supporting women in history. Uh, and one of our favorites, a friend of ours who works at the Motor Racing Network on Wing Nation, but also great race car driver, won her you know, first outlaw race, the first female to ever do it. Aaron Crocker Evernham joins us. How are you? How are you? Uh, it's been uh, a little bit since we've talked, but it uh, seems like you're doing all right. Yeah, I miss seeing you around the office, but but things are good. Can't complain. Glad to see um, sprint cars back on track and life getting back to somewhat normal. Yeah, what do you thought of the outlaw been, season so far, Aaron? Um, I've been really impressed. Um, I think this year the competition level seems about as great as I can remember. Uh, you know, considering there's no repeat winners yet, and that race at the Rev last night was one of the best features I've possibly ever watched. So it's um, it's been exciting. It's going to be a great year. We need to see the points battle. I'm sure you uh, were watching last night on Dirt Vision, um, or two nights ago. I'm getting my days mixed up here. Um, what did you think of Reitzel's performance uh, at East Bay, four over the fluff? That had to uh, make you feel pretty good. <laughs> that was so cool. I love I love seeing someone pull that off successfully. You know, we've all wanted to do it when we're driving, but it's not so easy to actually pull it off and not end up catching a rut and flipping into the fence. So, I, you know, I think one of the first times I saw Joey Saldana do it at Eldora was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Back when Eldora used to have a decent curb and some big fluff, Joey would go all four over it, and I thought it was one of the coolest things. And watching Reitzel do it the other night, and then we had him on Wing Nation, and he was talking about it and asked him about, you know, that moment that you go over the cushion, that you drive through it. I'm like, you know, that first time you do it, that, that's, that's kind of scary. And it was cool to hear him talk about that. Like, you know, once you're over it and you're in the, the fluff, it's not so bad. It's that first moment of like, so it was neat to hear him talk about it and to, to make it work for him. And he gave credit to like watching an old race that Gary Wright had won there doing that. So it was, it was, it was cool. It was spectacular to watch. Do you watch guys do stuff like that and think, man, I could still, I could still go out there and do that. Or are you like me where you watch some of these amazing things these guys do and you're like, there's no way I could do that. Cause that's how, that's how I feel sometimes. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's sometimes like if they go over the fluff and they wreck, I'd be like, oh yeah, I could do that still. I, mean, <laughs> I, could, I could make that happen. But no, I mean, I love watching it. And I think, you know, I don't really feel like I could compete at this point. You know, I don't, it's been so long that I don't even feel like I, would even fit in out there. But I do think it's cool to watch a race. And I'm sure Dylan, you can think the same way. And Tyler, I, th I think you've driven a little bit too. You can you can kind of relate. Like you feel the moment of, oh God, yeah. Okay, talking about rights, I'll go over the cushion that time. You kind of know the thought process that was going through his mind. Like, hope this sticks, just ease it in over the fluff and then try to get back on the gas. So I think it's neat to still be able to watch and have a different perspective than just being uh, you know, a fan that's never sat behind the wheel. Yeah, I am a fan who has never sat behind the wheel. Uh, look at me. Look oh, how big I am. You think I could fit in a race car? No. <laughs> it's time to get you in one. I, could... <laughs> I would love to get in one. At one time, Robert Bell was on our show and said I could race at the Chili Bowl for him. Um, that thing just, never runs every time we're out there. To, even a few hot laps just to try it, just to know what it feels like. I mean, I'm perfectly fine with Ross Weiss taking the banner for us fat uh, media <laughs> guys. So... Like if he wants to take, take it on the chin, I do. I, I am jealous of Ross. Honestly, I am very jealous that he got the race because I grew up wanting to race, you know, trying to for, you know, why wanted my mom and dad to get me a go-kart or something like that. But, uh, I was, I was more into the stick and ball sports. You played a lot of stick and ball sports too, though, right? 
Yeah, I did growing up. I love, I just love sports. I, to this day, like I'm trying to get our daughter into different things. Um, I just love to be outside. I love competition. Um, I played lacrosse in college for a few years until I started racing serious. I played, I was a ski racer. I played tennis. Like I, I just love to be active and, and I don't know. I, I think I truly love competition. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> What's the conversations like in the house between you and Ray? I mean, as obvious, obviously you guys are both competitors. So, I mean, when you talk about, you know, the kids maybe wanting to race or something, I mean, what are those conversations like? Well, as far as being competitive, um, you know, you probably heard the story about when we raced against each other in a 360 race. Have you heard that story where I, I, know, I think I have. Yeah. Tell, tell it again. Yeah. I haven't heard oh, it. Oh gosh. So about 10 years ago, after we got married, we started our own sprint car team. Uh, we went to Knoxville, we made the nationals with me driving, Ray was a crew chief, but Ray wanted to drive too. So he was running to 305. The following year, he's like, I really want to try a 360. So we were going to run some USCS races. And I'm like, this is a horrible idea. Like this is, there's nothing good is going to come out of this. We can't play Scrabble without like turning into a major fight. But lo and behold, he runs the race and it's his first 360 race. We're at Carolina Speedway. And uh, I passed Morgan Turpin. I like the track was really wide and it was really dusty. And I had pulled this like giant slider and I took the lead with about seven laps to go. And with about five to go, you know, get the signal from the flag man. I see one lap car ahead and it's Ray. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I'm gaining on him. I'm gaining on him. We come under the checkered. I'm getting the checkered. He's getting the white and I am like on his tail. So we go into one. I've now won the race. But I didn't really know which lane he was running. Like I, I, I don't even, I don't even know what happened. But needless to say, I missed my cushion that was like this close to the the guardrail. All not even a guardrail; it's a Jersey barrier there. Missed it and went up and over and out of the racetrack. If you ever been to Carolina Speedway, <laughs> when you go off a of turn two, it is a big drop back there. So yeah, I won the race, but um, you know it was the big joke that I had to go to victory lane with just the flag. I didn't even have a car. The car was still stuck in the woods. So that was our, uh, you know, his story is that I was giving him the bird. My story is that I didn't really know which lane he was picking and I just messed up. So yeah, that was the one time we raced against each other. But um, <coughs> like with Kate, Kate just recently, our daughter said that she was interested in quarter midgets. So I don't really know oh, how boy. that's going to go. Um, oh boy. Part of me is like thrilled about it and really excited. Like, yes, she wants to race. And part of me is like, oh gosh, no, no. So we'll see what happens right now. She's really into horses and that's still an expensive hobby and it's, but it's been fun to learn because it's something I know nothing about. Um, but it's, you know, honestly, Dylan, you can probably speak for the same with your relationship with Hannah. Like it's fun to uh, watch a race with your, your, your partner, your husband or girlfriend or whatever. And like, talk about the car, talk about the race, talk about strategy. Like I know when we first started dating, that was one thing Ray was like, it's so cool that I can have these conversations with you and you're, you're interested. That's exactly, yeah, that's so, exactly how I feel because we, we, and we talk about that all the time too. It's like, we both have probably ruined races for each other because we sit there and just overanalyze everything. And we're just like, you know, but it's, it's fun though. Like it's, it's, uh, yeah. it, because this is such a niche sport. It's nice to have somebody that understands it and, and you kind of have that in common. So I, I do appreciate that. Yeah. And to understand <laughs> the lifestyle too, because that's, you know, for someone yeah, who exactly. doesn't get racing, the lifestyle alone, let alone the, the technicalities of it. It's a different lifestyle for sure. So Ray was a squirrel and you were lapping him and he just got in the way. 
I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that, but. I'm impressed he made it all the way to basically the end of the race and didn't get lapped. Me I mean, too. That's, not, that's not bad for his first yeah, time. Yeah, he actually did. I think he finished seventh or something. Like I had lapped up to up to seventh. So, I, yeah, he, he ran a really good race. And the next night he actually almost won. We I didn't have a car because I had destroyed it. So I was a spectator the next night. And he led the race. I forget where we were, like I-77 Speedway, somewhere in, in South Carolina. And up until the very end, it was dry slick right around the bottom. And he got off the bottom a tiny bit, and Terry Gray snuck under him and won the race. But, you know, he, he actually did a, a really good job. I like to try to blame it a little bit on him, but it was really my error. <laughs> <laughs> it was my last race, really too. Cool. I feel like I covered all bases. So I was like, that's, that's it. It's my last race. <laughs> You, you mentioned ski racing. You're talking about like downhill skiing or what kind of skiing you're talking about? Well, not not downhill. Well, well, yes, downhill, but not like the technical term of downhill racing where they go like 80, 90 miles an hour. I raced um, like slalom and giant slalom. Um, and then I did one super G race. But yeah, I grew up in Massachusetts wow. and I don't know. I, I was the youngest of five. So all of my siblings, like I wanted to do everything that they did. I played ice hockey when I was little um, on the, all the boys team. So I don't know how I got into ski racing. I think, oh, I know what it was. I went on a ski trip and they had one of those little courses set up. You pay like a dollar and you can go through the course. Well, for my age group, I won a medal. I won like bronze. It was the first time I'd ever done it. And I was like, I am meant to be a ski racer. Here we go. So I signed (laughs) myself up. My mom jokes, I was like 12 and I signed myself up at the local ski area to join the race team. Um, but I skied all through high school and I actually really liked it. At one point I considered going to like a private school that you pretty much ski all day and do your classes at night, but my parents weren't totally for it. And I mean, obviously <laughs> everything works out for a reason, but I, I, to this day, I love downhill skiing. Yeah. Skiing is tremendous. We just moved to Michigan and I just began skiing. Well, I skied a little bit in high school, but we went skiing this winter. It was super fun. I really love it. So uh, yeah. I'm going to continue to do it, but it's, I like the casual part of it. It's like a golf to me, right? You go down the yeah. hill and like, you can get a beer if you want and go drink. And then like, you can get on the ski lift and you can just keep, it's so easy. It doesn't yeah. really take that much effort because you just ski right to the ski lift every time. Yeah. That's my favorite part about skiing now. It's like, oh, one run, I'm kind of cold. I'll go in or like you, they have a lot of the mountains have restaurants and bars up on the top. So you go in at lunchtime and you have a beer or two. And probably not the smartest thing to do, but it is enjoyable now. You know, it used to be like, oh, we'll get to the mountain as soon as it opens and we got to get as many runs as we can, where now it's like, eh, it's a little cold for me. I'm just going to go sit inside for a little while. Yeah, I don't blame you. So you did all all this stuff growing up. What about racing was, you know, the part that kind of made you want to stick with it? Um, So I started racing when I was six or seven, six. Um, my dad and my older brothers racing quarter midgets. So grew up at the track, wanted my turn. Um, I, I liked it a lot. And I loved like to this day, I'm still friends with like a lot of like, you know, dirt modified or pavement modified drivers come out of the Northeast, like Doug Kobe and, um, you know, James Savali, like a lot of guys that I raced with, even Joey Logano, he's a little younger than me, but like all from this same track. So, um, I just loved I loved the whole idea of racing. It was time I got with my dad who passed away when he was young. It was um, something different than my home lo- local town. You know, I mean? like every weekend, you, you, you know what it's like. You grow up at the racetrack, you go, you have different friends. Um, and then somewhere, somewhere around the time that my father passed away, um, I was 17 and I was trying to race some mini sprints. There was like, I, I won a few races and it just was kind of clicking. Like, 
this is something fun. I really like it. And I loved sprint cars. We used to go watch the World of Outlaws at Syracuse. And I used to think like, who in their right mind would drive one of these cars? Like these people are insane. <laughs> then we would go to Lebanon Valley and I just, I just love sprint cars. And a family friend of ours uh, had a 360 sprint car and he knew that I had interest. And he mentioned to my brother, he was like, hey, I got this date on the calendar if Aaron wants to come try this 360. So I was, I was pumped. And from the first time I got in a sprint car, I felt some level of comfort um, that I probably never felt in a stock car, but just like, I just really enjoyed it. It was fun. A sprint car is fun to drive. You're sideways, there's all that horsepower. Um, so I just kind of kept chipping away at it. And when I started driving for Mike Woodring, who I ran most of my 360 races with and really um, won the World of Outlaw race with, he was the first person that kind of came to me and was like, look, if you want to make this happen, like it's just a matter of how hard you want to work. You've got the talent, you probably need some experience. But it was like the first person that put it into perspective, like, this is, this is doable. Um, so from that point on, I, I was in college and I probably had partied a little bit too much my first few years of college. <laughs> and at that point I got really serious. My roommate and I created a website for me, which in uh, 2000 or 2001 was a big deal to create a website for yourself. We made sponsorship proposals, um, sent them to obviously hundreds of companies and like didn't really hear back from anybody. But at that point it was like, all right, this is, this is what I want to do. So that, that was when I started to like take it serious, that this is a chance and started driving for Mike in the Empire Super Sprints. In the first year I won six races out of, uh, I don't know if all of them were sanctioned, but there was like 36 races and I won six and he won like 12 or whatever. So that year was kind of like solidified it. Like, all right, if I can beat these guys, you know, what's the next step? And at that point I, I wanted to go IndyCar racing. I had, I had big plans, but that was, that was the beginning of it. I just have always loved um, not only the thrill of driving a sprint car or a race car in general, but I've loved the atmosphere, the people, the racetrack under the lights, um, just, just all of it. I, and I still do to this day, even without driving, I, you know, put me at a racetrack on a Saturday night and I'm a happy girl. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. And, and you kind of remind me of Morgan Turpin, who's done a similar route in the USCS Sprint Car Series, a uh, tremendous race car driver, uh, and Kaylee Bryson, of course, coming from like a, you know, a mini sprint background, but yours was the New York tracks. Me and Postman, we went to, um, I think it was Canandaigua, not Canandaigua, one of the tracks near Ithaca, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You probably raced there some uh, around there yeah, by yeah, Watkins Glen, tracks. no? Yeah, yeah that's kind of where the area was, or, right? Uh, what is that? It used to be called... Um... Oh, what's that racetrack? That Bully Hill is near, uh, I, they changed the name a few times, but yeah, I ran all those tracks. I ran the Empire Super Sprints um, for a full year, but even the year before I had run like half a dozen races with them. So yeah, I had a, an apartment in Buffalo for two summers and I used to travel that New York State Thruway a lot because I was still going to college and I went to school in, outside of Albany. So man, I put some miles on my old little Subaru I had back then. <laughs> <laughs> old Subaru. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine the, the skiing's beautiful back there. Um, so when was kind of your first big break? So like getting to the NASCAR level or, or getting into a big sprint car, when was that first one? Well, I think my first big break was getting my, my college ended up sponsoring me. Um, like I said, I had sent out all those proposals and never heard from anyone. And one of my professors, I went to engineering school, um, RPI, and he said, hey, have you ever talked to the school about possibly helping out your racing? And I was like, no, I never even thought of it. And so he gave me three names. It was, I forget who, but one of them was the Dean of Admissions. And he said, just, just go to her right now. They're really pushing uh, women in male dominated fields. So I one day got like my best college clothes 
and had this little proposal. I walked to her office and I just gave her the spiel about what I was doing, what I wanted to do the next season, what I wanted to race. And she was like, okay. And she said, well, how much do you need? And she said it so like point blank that I, in the moment I was like, oh God, uh, do I say too much? What if she, what if, am I going to scare her? And I just like threw out a number, which to me at the time was a huge number. And by the time I walked back to my sorority house, cause I was in a sorority then, uh, I had an email saying that the school would sponsor me for, you know, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute will sponsor you for this much money for the next season. And it was like a huge moment for me because after getting all those denials to have someone say, yep, here it is, just what you asked for. Like you almost can't believe your eyes. So that was a huge break. Um, the first year I went to Knoxville in 2003, my first 410 race was the Saturday before the nationals. And I think I qualified second quick and started up front. I think I ended up somewhere around 12th. I backed up during the feature, but for my first 410 race at Knoxville, the Saturday before the nationals, I was pretty psyched. And then we went to Oskaloosa for the front row challenge on Monday. I think I qualified like fifth quick and I finished sixth in the feature. I passed Sammy. Uh, past Casey Kane, and then we went and qualified for the Nationals on Wednesday, and I locked myself into the A main that night, and that was probably my biggest break. Like, that was a moment that suddenly people were, like, media, and there was a lot of attention, and there was, and manufacturers were kind of reaching out, so that was a, a huge break for me, and then, obviously, winning a World of Outlaw race was, um, I mean, to this day, is my biggest accomplishment in the sport. But um, I think that whole Knoxville qualifying the year before was the biggest moment because it got me into the, running the Outlaws the next year. And before I even won that race at Tulare, I already had done a whole development driver development thing with Ford that didn't really work out. Um, and then I had met with Richard Childress. I had met with Ray. So things were already starting to roll. And then winning that Outlaw race kind of solidified things, but it also, to me, gave me a lot more credibility. When you were were kind of trying to break in to the sport, I mean, even at, even at that level, like to NASCAR or even just become kind of a household name, um, you know, now when there's when there's females in the sport, I think, and I, I don't want to minimize this, but like you know, if, if you're a female and you have success, I think there's doors that that open because everybody is so anxious to get a female, the next big female in the sport. For you, when you were trying to become, you know, a successful female race car driver, those opportunities weren't always, you know, super prevalent. So what kind of challenges were presented to you or were there challenges presented to you simply because you were female? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. You know, there, there was definitely some opportunity just because I was a female, but at the time, I don't know. The timing was was definitely a part of it because by the time I got to the point where I'd won the World of Outlaw Race and talking to Ford, talking with Ray and Dodge, there was starting to become a big push for diversity. So at that point, the doors were starting to open. Um, but before that, I'm, and I'm sure any woman who's driven a race car or been in the field, even an engineer, crew person, can tell you that there's just stuff you deal with. You know, we talked about this on a, I did a podcast with um, Allison McKinney and Taylor McLean the, the other day, and we were talking about, you know, things that guys said to me along the way that were, you know, derogatory or whatever. But I used to really, I used to laugh at it because to me, when I was racing, I had people like, like Steve Kinzer, one of the first times I raced against him, I ran a 360 at rolling wheels. Obviously, you can't even compete with, you know, the 410s there, but I ran a respectable race. I actually finished like 17th in the World of Outlaw race. 
And I, I ran pretty decent in a heat race because the track was pretty slick. And he came over to me that night and he said, or he walked by and he said, you did a good job tonight. And I'll never forget it. It was like, <laughs> oh my God, Steve Kinzer just talked to me. So I always felt like the people who were most important <laughs> in my career, like the, like who I respected the most, were usually helpful to me. Usually the comments and the nasty, dumb stuff came from fans or someone who was envious of the position I was in. So um, oftentimes I really let that fuel me. Like uh, the other day, Ray and I were talking about it, and I said something along, <laughs> along the lines of, I just used to love to like crush a male ego. And he was like, whoa, that's, that's a little aggressive. Like, well, it, it was like, <laughs> it was kind of how I felt. Like the more you're going to say I can't do it, the more I'm going to try to prove I can do it. You have to have that yep. mentality. I mean, I think no matter whether you're a male or female, but I'm, I'm sure probably especially in your situation, because uh, I, I can only imagine, you know, the, the hurdles and things and things that were, you know, thrown your way in that regard. So I, I applaud you for that. Well, and I think one thing that was a little bit different as a female driver, and I was just talking about this as well, I felt like when I got into a new car, one thing I did was like, I was always um, a little bit more cautious and calculated to get up to speed because I was so afraid of being that girl who goes out immediately and spins out or wrecks and then you get you get labeled. Like, I feel like guys get a little a little more time to, you know, even if they spin and they're wide open, no one's gonna immediately notice, oh yeah, that was the girl that just, so I feel like there was a lot of times when I first got into a car or not on a race night, but say testing or getting an opportunity, it was like, there was also a level of caution because I was so afraid to be, oh, it's the girl, you know, like, I feel like that was a difference. I used to look at like guy rookies and be like, man, they get all these chances and no one's ripping them. Like, the, you know, they're just wrecking like a normal rookie wrecks. But if I did that, you know, they would just, I felt like they'd be all over me. <laughs> this is tremendous stuff. I had that moment with Steve Kinzer too, right? But it was different because I wasn't racing against them. It was at I-96 here in Michigan, right? I was standing up against the fence and Kinzer walked up with a cigarette and he leaned over and he goes, what do you think of the track? And I'm like, you talking to me? Uh, like, <laughs> like you're talking to me? And then he goes out and busts his ass, flips nine times on the front stretch. I thought my hero had just died, but he was good. Oh, he was, he raced the next day. So I was like, this is, that? that is why I love Steve Kinzer, man. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. I used That's to like, have, um, the banquet that when I ran the world of outlaws in 2004, the banquet, you know, it was, it was fun and it was kind of neat. I mean, after being on the road with those guys all year, it was neat to see everyone like somewhat dressed up and dancing. And I don't know, it was just different, but I had a picture of Steve kissing me on the cheek. And I used to have it like right when you walked into my apartment, there was a picture because my desk was right there. So there was a picture of me with Steve Kinzer kissing me on the cheek. And then there was a picture of me passing Sammy Swindell. And after Ray and I were dating for a while, he finally was like, can we maybe get rid of the picture of Steve kissing you? Like, can we, I mean, you can keep it. Can we like not have it plastered as soon as you walk into your apartment? But still one of my favorite photos. That's funny. Um, take me through the story of how, of how you guys uh, met, how you, how you got together and, and just kind of how that relationship started. Cause I mean, obviously like you meet people and everything through the racing industry, but but how did you guys you know meet and and how did all that come together? How did Ray and I meet? Yeah. Uh, well, I actually, I so I was supposed to sign a deal with Ford. Um, they had offered me like a midget deal with a, a long term deal, and then Dodge came 
forward with Ray and they said, here's like a one year deal, run some marker races, run some silver crown races. It was very straightforward. So I actually came with an agent um, and met him. He took us to the Logan Steakhouse in, in Statesville, North Carolina. We still talk about it. It was like where we actually first met. So started driving for him in 2005 um, and then 2006, obviously ran the truck series. But, you know, somewhere along the line, which is kind of funny now looking back, like he always says that he just married me because I kept wrecking his race cars and it was going to be cheaper to marry me <laughs> than be his team owner. But, um, you know, I think it's just like we talked about before, when you have so much in common with someone and you spend time with them on the road, you know, I think he, A, honestly, it's not even a joke, but I think he really felt bad for me in my first few bush races because I did wreck. One wreck at Dover was really rough and broke some ribs and stuff. But um, I don't know. It was kind of like a gradual thing to the point where we were like, we were at a race somewhere in like Phoenix and we went to a movie and it was just like, we were honestly just totally hanging out. And then at, at some point, obviously that, that winter, it was like turned into like a date. And I was like, it was, it was really um, honestly a confusing time in my life. And we talk about it even to this day, because I knew at that point that if I started dating my car owner, like th there goes my career, there goes everything that you've worked for, because it's the cliche of, oh, she's, you know, sleeping with the owner or whatever people want to say which obviously I knew was the exact opposite. If that's the case, I'm, I'm actually going to get ridiculed and my career is over. So there was like some serious conversations like, are we going to really do this? Because if we're going to really be together, it's going to hurt both of our careers, but it's probably going to hurt mine a lot more. So it was, uh, it was actually a little bit tough because I still really loved racing, but I, I remember even having the thought of, you know, 10 years from now, what do I really want? Like, do I want to be with this person who I really, really love and care for? And, and have a nice life and a family life? Or do I want a room full of trophies and, and always like kind of wonder? You know, not that I necessarily would have gotten all the trophies, but you know, the concept of like, sure. do you choose career mm -hmm. over, over relationship and happiness? So it was a tough time. And obviously I tried to continue racing for a while, but, and now looking back, it was, a, it was an easy choice. And I'm thankful that everything worked out the way it did. And there was a reason we have a beautiful daughter and, and life is really good for us. But in that moment, it was definitely tricky. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and I, I think, um, and from what it looks like, it looks like you probably made the right decision, right? Are you? I mean, you seem pretty well, happy. Most days, I feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the day. We're trying to move right now, so it's probably not a good time to ask me about marriage. No, just kidding. No, I. Um, we life is great. Honestly, we we still to this day, you know, he's got the new SRX series coming, um, and I'm not really involved, but it's still fun to at least like. You know, he'll send me pictures of the chassis or different things. Like, it's cool to still be a part of it and have that in common. Um, and, you know, life is really good. My stepson, Ray J, spends a lot of, you know, spends a lot of time with us. We've got a house we're building right now. And um, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, and, and who knows? Like, I always say I was never going to be Jeff Gordon. So I'm not sure how long I was actually going to race for no matter what anyway. I mean, we need to get <laughs> you in the SRX car. I know. There's a lot of talk about it, but... I'm pretty sure my credentials don't match the rest of the field. So oh, I mean, maybe, maybe I can be a test driver. <laughs> yeah. So, so when is, uh, when is some of those guys even won a world of outlaws race? I don't think so. I know, you know, what was really cool is that last year, no, last year we didn't have Knoxville the year before, uh, Jeff Gordon had, um, Mark Weber with him at the nationals and somehow we were hanging out with them and Mark Weber starts asking me about, you know, what it's like to win a world of outlaw race and what is it like to run at Knoxville? And I was like blown away. I'm like, you're, 
Like I, I don't, I don't even feel like I should be part of this conversation right now. But it was really cool. Like here I am with Jeff Gordon and Mark Weber, and I one does not fit, one does not belong in this conversation. <laughs> and <laughs> we mentioned at the beginning of this interview that you do work for Wing Nation and MRN. I think you're fantastic on camera, and you've actually did some TV work, right, uh, back in the day too, didn't you? Yeah, was it I some did sprint a car races, or what was it? Uh, yeah, when Speed Channel. Um, I did a little, I actually did a, a little color, not color commentating. I was the whatever, yeah, color commentating for um, some ARCA races. I did a little pit reporting for the World of Outlaws back in the day. Um, then Wing Nation and did some stuff with Speed Sport for a while. And I really enjoyed some of that because it was like kind of what we're doing now, but it was before podcasting and this stuff was a, a big thing. It was more of like long sit down interviews. And one of them I got to do was with Steve Kinzer. So obviously you know how much that meant to me. But another time I sat down with Shirley Muldowney for like two hours and just interviewed her. So it was like, I, I just really enjoy, um, you know, the aspect of the sport, like what you guys are doing. It's to get to know people further than what you just hear or see, you know, on TV or, or through stories. So. Um, and, and that's why I love Wing Nation. I still, my, my favorite part of all of motorsports is Wing Sprint Cars. So, yeah, like to be able to still be somewhat a part of it and to know a lot of the drivers and the crew chiefs still from all those years back, it's fun to talk to them and to still have some sort of relationship with them and, and, and keep involved. Yeah, I and mean, you're really good at it, to be honest. Um, and and Thanks. the work you do on Wing Nation is tremendous. Um, I know that when I worked at MRN, there was rumors going around the hallways that Tim Clawson was trying to get you in a midget at the Chili Bowl. Why can we not make this happen? I've been trying for two to three years now to get you in a midget at the Chili Bowl. It has to happen this it year. It could happen. Chase all Elliott's doing do it. All these guys are doing it. All I have to do is is tell Tim I'm in. I mean, the, the offer stands. But, you know, as I mean, Dylan does an awesome job of not racing a midget often and going out there and killing it. See, I don't think I would do that. It's been so long for me and I've never even really raced a, a dirt midget that if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. So I've told Tim that before in one year, you know, even before Brian had passed away, we had set up to do like four or five power eye races and then go run the Chili Bowl. And I was really excited about it. But at the same time, Ray and I were really talking about starting to have a family. And at the same time, Jason Leffler had passed away. And I just had this moment of like, all right, why, why am I really running this midget? Like, they're, they're, I'm talking about having a family. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, honestly, that day that Jason Leffler passed away, I, I remember where I was. And he was not a close friend of mine, but someone I knew well enough. It really uh, kind of hit me. And that was when I called Tim and Brian the next day and was like, look, guys, I know I set this whole thing up and I really want to do it. But I feel like at this point in my life, like, I need to, I need to not. So, I don't know. The, 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 it's, it's not a totally done deal. If I, you know, Kate's five years old now. She's getting pretty independent. Maybe, maybe it's in the future. That you can't be any worse. Him, I can't break his you, heart again. You can't be any worse than I was at Chili Bowl this year. So, I mean, I think you'd have to, you'd have to try to be as bad as I was. So, I think you could, I think you I could I don't know. I've it. seen you wheel the car when you hop in that stuff. Like, you, have, you haven't run in a while, and then you hop in, and you're like, quick time. I'm like, wait a second. I could never do that. <laughs> to be honest though like seeing guys like ryan newman go back and race it um he's keep he keeps going back because the enjoyment factor is there right like yeah if you like tim clausen has one of the best midgets in that pit area you know well, what i'm saying like you would have a great opportunity like <laughs> yeah right? he does have the best equipment i don't want to look bad yeah there's pressure <laughs> yeah. there'd be pressure yeah 
I don't know. Maybe there's someday. no pressure. You know, each year that I've been out of it, the pressure is a little bit less because my expectations drop. So I, I'm, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. <laughs> also, when you mentioned that your daughter was getting interested in quarter midgets, I could I just pictured Uncle Jeff, uh, Jeff Gordon, getting his quarter midgets out and he and Ray tinkering on them. Uh, are all the kids going quarter midget racing together? Well, it's funny that you say that because I think Jeff's kids are kind of out of it now. Or last we talked to them, they were, you know, those kids like travel the world. The, the, the thought of going to a, you know, quarter midget track each weekend would probably seem pretty boring. But John Bickford has the cars and he actually has offered when Kate's ready. He was like, I've got a fire suit. I got a helmet. I got the car ready. I'm like, oh boy. And you know, John is as analytical as Ray is. And so he gets out the, his phone and he's showing me, well, this is when Leo ran at Salisbury and he's showing like the line, like they had like full technology on the, you know, like data on the car. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want it to be this stressful. Like, I just wanted to go out there and see if she likes it. But yeah, he was like analyzing the tires and he knew exactly what setup they had. I'm like, oh, oh boy, if we do this, we're, we're jumping in the deep end here. That can take be Ray's next bridge. challenge. Yeah, that can be Ray's <laughs> next challenge. He innovated NASCAR. Now he's going to take over quarter midgets and just change the world. Oh gosh, there. I would feel bad for Kate. <laughs> so 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 the quarter midgets is the route it's not like outlaw carts at millbridge or something like with brexton and all those guys out there well i mean if she's really gonna do it she's gonna need both you need pavement and dirt experience you gotta you know you gotta train them right we'll have to get her in some you know go-karts at gopro too you gotta you gotta go across all disciplines to really get a good background but that'll be part of the whole plan once it comes together <laughs> maybe she'll stick to horses and i don't have to worry about it does Ray want her to race or do you, or it seems to me that you wanted to race more? Um, I think we're both kind of mixed on it. You know, there's part of us that would love it. And there's part of us that are like, we know what you're about to have to face. You know, <laughs> you, you, you guys know the industry. It's a tough sport. It doesn't matter how much talent, who you have behind you. It's a tough sport. Um, and I think she'd have the pressure of like, oh, your dad's Ray Everham and he, you know, won three cup championships. Why, why can't you drive this car? But I don't know. It, it's definitely mixed. Like when she said that she was interested, I was like, yes. And I was like, oh, do I really want that? Like, do I really want to deal with that? So I don't know. You know, honestly, she loves horses right now. And Ray's really into that. Ray rode horses when he was younger. I I never have been around him. Um, so it's been fun, like to see him spend time with Kate at the barn and they talk stuff. Like I'm learning the lingo, but there's a lot to learn about horse racing or not horse racing, but like horses, um, the competition that she's doing English riding, which is like hunter jumper stuff. I don't know anything about, but regardless, it's kind of cool to see. And I think Ray wants to see her continue with that if she wants to, because it's kind of something new for both of us and something new to do with her. And it's her passion. It's what she found. Like no one in our family introduced her to horses. She started watching these shows and got like obsessed. And then for her fifth birthday, we got her a riding lesson and it's just taken off. Like it's all she wants to do. So it's kind of neat to see your kid pick what they want to do as opposed to like push them to what you want them to do. So we'll see how it all works out. That's incredible. I just want her to be passionate about something, you know, whatever it is. I just want her to, to not worry about like all the other crap that we have to deal with in life. And as she gets older, social media, all that stuff. Like I just want her to have a passion that she can just escape to. Exactly. She doesn't have to be passionate about racing, right? Just passionate about something. It keeps your yeah, mind off of all the craziness. And, and for me, it kept me out of trouble. <laughs> exactly. Precisely. 
Yeah, I mean, and she no, is no. Ray and I's daughter, so she has some spunk. She has some attitude. She is always the boss and the leader. So yes, keeping her out of trouble will be important. So you haven't went with Ray to all these SRX events with Kenny Schrader, and you got to keep them in line. Kenny Schrader is pretty crazy. Oh, he's definitely crazy. No, I didn't get to go to Caraway. Um, I forget what was uh, going on that day, but I wasn't able to go to. Caraway. I'm sure I'll get to, you know, I'll go tag along to some of it. And I think Kate and I are, we're planning on taking the motor home and doing a big road trip this summer to all the races. So um, we'll be involved, but I did miss, miss the first one, but I've spent some time at the shop and watched the guys. And I mean, they have a lot of, they got a lot to do. There's the first race is June 12th and they're pretty busy right now. And they've got Ray. I'm really excited. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Obviously, we just announced the partnership with Tony Stewart continuing with the All-Stars. You know, we are going to continue uh, supporting Tony Stewart with anything he does uh, content-wise. So we will definitely have content on Flow Racing surrounding the SRX events, even though they're on CBS, which is going to be tremendous. Um, but we'll be at Eldora. You know, we'll be at a lot. Well, Stafford, we just signed Stafford. Uh, I mean, we're going to have content all over the That's place. Awesome. Uh, That's awesome. That's like SRX track. events. That's awesome. My parents actually, their first date was to Stafford Motor Speedway. It's a true story. So Stafford goes way back in my family and we used to go um, watch the, the feature sometimes and, and it was about 20 minutes from where I grew up. So it's cool that they're going there for the first race. I've like sent all my family and friends, you know, all the information, like you better be there. <laughs> it's a great racetrack. Dylan tried payment racing. Uh, well, Dylan loves payment racing, but he tried payment stock car racing at Meridian last last uh, year and figured out that a full field invert was not his friend. <laughs> you get penalized. Well, it's like dirt. It's not any better than dirt racing. You qualify fast time. You get penalized at the start. You know, sixth or eighth or whatever. <laughs> so, oh well. And it's not nearly as easy on a, on a pavement track coming through the field. No. At least I didn't. The one time I ran a, a pavement late model. I mean, no offense to anybody because everyone has their thing and what they like. But I ran a late model at Hickory once. It wasn't my best day. I mean, no. my patience. It's hard. You're on the gas for like three seconds and then you're off the gas and everyone's hitting each other. I was like, it was, it was, it's just not my thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a completely That's different, awesome. completely different mindset than, than the dirt racing side yeah. of it. Yeah. And I appreciate that there's pass. a whole contingent that loves it. That's true. And we love pavement racing, by the way. We got Stafford, we got Thunder Road. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be adding Thunder more. Road. So Thunder Road is cool. My mom has a house in Vermont, right down the road from Thunder Road. And I'm like, I've been dying to get up there and get to a race because Moody always talks about it. And uh, Ken Squire always talked about it. So someday I'm gonna get there, hopefully this summer. So yep, there you go. Good endorsements from Stafford Speedway and Thunder Road all on Flow Racing all year long this year and going into the future as well. Aaron, we appreciate you so much coming on. It was really fun. Uh, the stories were great. Uh, Dylan, I know Thank you. Um, we we were excited. That we didn't have her on Rip the Fence because we didn't talk any you know non-wing sprint car racing or we didn't talk any wing sprint car racing and she was in the same building as us, but now we can talk wing sprint car racing, right? Sweet. Yep. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I mean, talk sprint cars. I mean, sure. Anytime. Sign me up. <laughs>